Good morning, all. I was waiting to stand up to the Bible reading to come on the screen, and it was a bit slow. <laughs> Hence, I was slow. Mark chapter 4 on page 1004. There's got to be a meaning there. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might not, they might not turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the seed. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive, with, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the work, the word making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on the good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks to you, God. Thanks, Susie. Let me pray for us uh, before we reflect on that portion of Scripture. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to our hearts and minds this morning, making the Lord Jesus Christ clearer and more real to us. And we pray that as you do that, you would transform us and send us out to serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if, you're, if you're back with us after a few weeks off or um, you're, uh, you're visiting today, a really warm welcome to you. You're part of, we're doing a series on Mark's Gospel, and, uh, which is Mark's story of Jesus' life. And we've come to a, point, a crucial point, actually, a crucial point. This week I was driving down Warringah Freeway and I turned off to go to North Sydney and there was a, um, a, a, a big um, billboard advertising ice cream and it's, it was advertising vegan ice cream. And it said, I don't know if you've seen this one. It says, go vegan. 
in big writing, go vegan, and then in smaller writing underneath, for a moment. <laughs> go vegan for a moment. And I, I, I chuckled to myself because I guess that's a bit symptomatic of our, our time and place, isn't it? People make changes, but just for a season. Uh, they go through, a, you know, they, they make a decision, they choose a job, and then it's for a season and they move on. We change jobs more often ever than ever before. You know, I think the stats are for a millennial, uh, they will have five jobs in their life. And they're not talking about KFC, they're talking about substantial jobs. We're, we're a season of, of change, regular change. And yet underneath that, I think deep down, we are looking to be changed in a level and to an extent where things run into eternity. We're looking for deep change, lasting change. We're looking for change that is profound. And in fact, all the changes we make are actually a search for the one great change that will reform our lives. As we started Mark's Gospel, Jesus was announcing the great change of the world. He says, the kingdom of God has come, chapter 1. The kingdom of God, the great change in the world, he says, has come. And he's been giving us hints about what this change would look like, actually, in the first few chapters of this account. But the question that hangs over us is, how, how does that change take place? How is God going to do that? And now, as we get to this chapter, chapter 4, and the next few chapters, actually, we're going to get little moments of teaching by Jesus. And he teaches us here, in this reading this morning, it was read for us, a famous parable called the parable, often known as the parable of the sower. Other people call it the parable of the, uh, of the soils. Depends where you want to put the emphasis in the, the account. Nonetheless, it's an important moment. And in this story, actually, God is telling us something about how he's going to bring change about. Uh, quick recount. A sower arrives and they cast seed on the ground and then we see through the different types of soil that the seed lands in different outcomes. Some of it lands on a path, some of it lands in rocky ground, some of it lands in ground that's infested with weeds and some of it on, on fertile ground. And, and Jesus tells the, 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 the story and afterwards the crowd kind of dissipates and he has a further teaching moment with a smaller group of people. And one of, I guess... I guess the main point, actually, of Jesus' story is slowly unpacked, particularly in that moment where he unpacks the meaning for that smaller group. And it's this, that God's word is ultimately the key tool for how he's going to bring about change. God's message is the way that he's going to bring this extraordinary change, which he describes as the kingdom of God, about the, word, the, the Greek word for word, logos, which is how Mark would have written his account in, in, in Greek, that occurs just eight times, eight times in verses 14 to 20 alone. Because the focus of that section of Jesus' teaching is about this idea of the word. And he says, the word is God's key tool. And in fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry, you, you'll see it as you read the Gospels. If you haven't read them, I really encourage you to, to do that. If you read through the accounts of Jesus' life repeatedly, the theme is Jesus is doing all these great things. He's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's feeding 4,000, feeding 5,000. People are flocking to him, but the, key, the thing that Jesus keeps wanting to do is teach people teach people. Teaching is his priority. In fact, he says at times, I've got to leave here and go to other towns because I need to teach them. 
I need to proclaim to them. Because for Jesus, the word is the key thing. The message is the thing that brings about change for Jesus. And then what we see from the account of the parable is that actually this change is powerful. It can do a lot of, it can do extraordinary change. We often focus on those first three soils, but look at the fourth soil there, 30, 60, 100 fold. And Jesus' point is, this message has the capacity to transform in extraordinary ways, extraordinary ways. You know, you think about a little a grain of, a little rice seed, right? That seed has the capacity, planted in the right soil, to feed thousands of people. As it grows and then produces more seed and that seed re- seeds and grows, it has the capacity. That's Jesus' point. The Word of God has that much power, that much efficacy, that much capability to change and transform the world. And that's why actually Jesus says the Word, the message, is actually the key tool that God is going to use to bring about change. And, and he's actually picking up something that's been in the Bible from the start. Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, opens with the account of creation. And verse 2, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Isn't that extraordinary? Like just, just think about all of your understandings of how God might work. Would you have started God's great work, your account of God's great work, with a moment of speech. And it's not just moment of speech, but speech that makes something happen. The point of Scripture, the point of the Bible constantly is to say God is a God who works through speech, through speaking, through a message. In Isaiah 55, this is what uh, the prophet says. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. We've seen that, haven't we? Drought for the last months, and then it's rained for two weeks, and the change is extraordinary. So, the prophet says, is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, Jesus, actually, when he's teaching here in Mark's Gospel through this parable, he's just reiterating a truth that the Bible has constantly been saying, actually, that God is going to bring change and he's going to bring it through a message, through preaching an idea. I mean, my my daughter Harriet's been reading Matilda, Roald Dahl's book. If you've ever read it, there's that little moment where Matilda suddenly... Her brain is so big and it can't, kindergarten's too small for her brain. And she starts to do these miraculous things. Uh, Dahl, Dahl says it's like hands coming out of her eyes. You know, she just looks at things and things move and bend. Uh, that is, that's kind of how we think God might work, you know, like these in, invisible hands. No, God brings about his change through a message, through a word spoken. It's how he created the world and it's how he's creating the new kingdom, says Jesus. This word is crucial. And here's the thing. If you want change in your life, that is what's going to change your life. The word, the message, God speaking to you is actually what's going to change your life. You can't sit in your seat and hope that somehow miraculously God will just kind of 
His, eye, his, his invisible hands will reach out and transform you. No, no, it is exposure to, it is hearing, it is receiving his word that brings about the transformation in our life. And here's the other thing. As God's church, who has a heart to see the world, to just see the streets around us and the community around us transformed, that will only really in a lasting way happen as people hear and receive the word of God. That is the, that is the absolute priority for us as God's people, actually, is that people get to hear the word of God because it is the word that changes people. Everything we do, all the other things we do are great as long as they ultimately facilitate people hearing the word, hearing the message. We can feed people, we can care for people, but they will not bring about the lasting change that we long for them if they don't ultimately hear the message that God has for them, the word. Jesus is telling you something that the scriptures have been telling you and he's reiterating it through his story here. The word is the transformative effect. This idea is the thing that changes people. The the concepts, the ideas at the heart of God's revelation are the things that change our hearts, change our minds and change our will. It's actually pretty simple. It's pretty simple. What the parable is saying is very simple. God's word is powerful and that is what's going to change you. And I guess you could just summarise the parable of the soul that simply. But as you read it, you sense that there's more complexity to do with that, isn't it? Verses 11 and 12 start to get our heads scratching a little bit. We sense the complexity to it. Uh, And in fact, the parable, the mode of parables is itself a testament to the complexity of hearing God's word. Parables are not like a preacher's illustration. They're not like an analogy. You know, a preacher, hopefully, if they use a, a good illustration, what he or she is doing is making something clearer, you know, crystallizing an idea so that you can come away with something. But a parable doesn't always do that. In fact, if you just think about the parable of the sower, imagine you'd not read all 20 verses before. You'd, you'd stopped at verse 10, right? What you would have had was Jesus telling you a story, an agricultural story. And and you would have walked away, as I guess a lot of the crowd did actually, scratching your head thinking, "Why, why did he tell us a story about someone who threw seed on the ground? You see, the parable is itself a secret. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's restricted to people in that sense, but it means that something has to be unpacked about it. And that's the nature, actually, of hearing the word. And then the parable's contents makes this even clearer. It shows us three people who struggle to receive the word, or three soils that struggle to receive the word. The first soil, or the first place where the seed lands, is the pathway. And Jesus says the devil comes in and takes the word. People, they're exposed to the word. They've heard it. They've heard words, literally. They've heard ideas, but the devil comes in and takes it away. Now, for those of us who are a bit more mystical, a bit more spiritual, we think, yes, that's exactly how I think about transformation. I'm a passive recipient. God does all the work. I just sit there. Some people, some, some, people, some religions particularly think about their transformation as, as being at the heart of a spiritual battle. There's good and evil raging around, and they are just a passive individual in the midst of that. Who knows what will happen? Will God bring about the change? Others who are much more humanistic 
secular. Think about change purely as, a, as an endeavour of, of, of self-driven change. You know, if I know enough, if I work hard enough, if I show enough self-discipline, I'll change. But you see, Jesus is not saying either of those things in that first soil. He says, yes, there is a spiritual reality. The devil comes in and takes the word away. But why? Because the person didn't bury that word deep. You see, it's on shallow ground. It, it's not an anti-intellectual argument Jesus is making for why some people don't. He's, in fact, it's the opposite. He's saying, because you haven't taken that word, because you haven't buried it deep, because you haven't feasted on it, meditated upon it, mulled upon it, you're open to the work of the devil taking that word away from you. See? And, and then he goes on to these other two soils where he says one, one person receives the word, but then trouble and persecution come. Trouble and persecution come. They make their life hard receiving this word and say, let it go. Or the other one, which is, oh, that's too close to home for most of us, I suspect, where wealth and possessions and comfort and lifestyle like weeds choke out the efficacy of the word. And so it dies too. I think what you can take from both of those is this fundamental truth. This is the point, actually, and this is why a lot of people will call it the parable of the soils, not the parable of the sower. Because what the passage is saying is that transformation is a product of what you love, what you love most. If you love your security, ah, then trouble and persecution are going to kill the transforming work of the word. If you love your comfort and your lifestyle, most importantly, if that's the most important thing for you, then wealth and possessions, materialism, the ease of life of our Western lifestyle will kill the transforming work of the Word in your life, says Jesus. What you love, if you love something more than God's Word to you, God's Word will not transform you. You can't say, I respect God's Word, and therefore I'm going to be transformed by it. You can't say, it's one of the things I love. It must be the thing that you feast upon, that you love, that you treasure the most, says Jesus. And, and I mean, there's, there's a balance here. There's a balance in, in Jesus' teaching. On one hand, there is a reality that God works and is key in whether we receive the word rightly, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But there's also the reality that we are responsible for whether we're receptive to the word. That is a truth. There's a balance that continues, and it happens all through Scripture. God is at work and so are we. And the challenge of this section in verses 11 and 12 is a warning because you'll notice that Jesus is actually preaching it to a group of people who have done the work of getting around him and asking more questions. He's warning them because they are receptive at this point, but he's warning them that you can have the word sitting in your lap this morning. You can be reading it, you can be hearing it, you can be hearing me blab on it this morning, and that's literally what it is. On a spiritual sense, blah, blah, blah. You're hearing but not understanding, says Jesus. A warning to us. What do you love? And is that blocking our capability to hear the word and treasure it? But now, I guess the challenge, though, is that there is this other side of things. And in fact, I want to say, actually, if you, don't, if you look at your life and you think, oh, there's no transformation in my life. In fact, someone talked to me, uh, earlier this week about how they look at their life and they wonder, is it being transformed? Because we talked a little bit about that last week. If you see no transformation in your life of any sort whatsoever as a result of the word, then that is a moment to ask yourself, what do I really love? 
What do I really love? But the reality, as I said, is there's two sides to this story, and, and God is responsible. He is responsible for the receptivity. And particularly the quote from Isaiah in verses 11 and 12 can maybe leave us wondering if ultimately, even if not us, God has set other people up to fail. Has he set other people up to fail? That's a question I suspect is in people's hearts or you have grappled with it at some point when you've read this passage. And the thing you need to do is actually go back to the parable and read it again. Because there's a few things that perhaps we've skimmed over. First of all, do you notice what the sower does? The sower casts the seed everywhere. Everywhere. They don't look at the ground and say, this, this is a pathway, I'm not sowing there. This is rocky ground, it won't grow here. This has got weeds, they'll choke it. Ah, here's the receptive soil. Here is where I'll sow. No, Jesus says the sower sows the seed everywhere. And in fact, in verse 10, the thing that you we should notice about the group gathered around Jesus. It is a little inner group, and we might automatically think, oh, this is the disciples, this is the people Jesus chose, right? But look at it, and others, says Mark, and others. You see, God has a great desire for all people to hear. He casts his word far and wide. He wants people to hear him. That is his great desire. And his desire is not just to keep it to a small group. In fact, there are others. The group is growing. That is the story. In fact, don't forget. Don't forget the fourth seed, which results in a harvest of 30, 60, 100. That is who God is. He has a great desire. In fact, here's what, here's what the writer of the Hebrews, uh, to the Hebrews says. In the passage, chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, God has always wanted to speak. He's always wanted to speak. He spoke to Abraham out of the blue. He didn't have to, but he spoke to him. He spoke to Israel even when they turned his back on him. He spoke to them. He spoke to pagan nations who didn't deserve any grace at all. He spoke to them nonetheless. He spoke to pagans like Rahab, whose life was completely against the way that God would want him to live, but he spoke to them. But here's what Hebrews says. No, no, no. All of that, just a shadow of the way that God speaks to us in Jesus Christ. Fully, perfectly, wonderfully. And the point is, you get to see what God is seeing most clearly when you're with Jesus Christ. It's true of the parable. Truth only comes when Jesus Christ opens the parable up to the hearers. And it's true most profoundly in the gospel. That's the point that Hebrews is making. Jesus Christ is the ultimate declaration that God desires to speak. Yeah, I don't know if you watched the Netflix series The Crown in season three which is following a fictional account of the, of the royal family, which is following, um, season three is following like, you know, the 1960s, and, and one of the early episodes has um, an account of a coal disaster in a little British town called Aberfan. And as it happens, back in the time, it, it really wasn't the thing for a sovereign to go and visit people when they were grieving. You know? So instead, the Queen writes a letter uh, which, which expresses the condolences of the, the, the Queen to that community and it gets delivered. But of course the crowd, the, the popular 
um, the popular public don't like that at all. They, they feel like she's very distant. There's no sympathy there, There's no empathy with their understanding. And the story kind of follows it through the episode to the point where eventually her advisors give her permission to get on the plane and fly into the town. And ultimately, it's only when she sheds a tear, actually, at the town where people are convinced that she gets it. She, she understands them. She has sympathy and empathy for their situation. You know, Jesus Christ, he doesn't come as a king. He comes as a carpenter. Jesus Christ doesn't come just with words of sympathy. He comes with words of salvation. And he doesn't just shed tears. He sheds his own blood. And he does it because at the heart of his, at God's great heart, is to save people. He wants to speak to people. He wants people to know him. He wants them to know that he understands them and he loves them. This is at the heart of God. So much so that he would throw his own son down on the ground. Jesus Christ is not overwhelmed just by thorns. He's crowned with thorns as he dies on a cross. That's the gospel. That's the message, you see. That is who Jesus Christ is. That's what God is trying to say. That is the clearest statement to us. And, and see, the, the, the call for us is you've got to take that message. Because ultimately, you see, God's word is not advice. It's not primarily advice. So many of us think when we open up God's word, it's got advice. You need to swallow it because it's going to tell you how to live. But actually, God's message, first and foremost, is a word, an announcement, a declaration of who God is. A statement about his heart for you and for I and for his people and for the world. A statement that his own son would come and die for us. And what we need to do is take that message and bury it deep in our hearts. You know, we need to wake up every morning with that statement, what we call the gospel. This extraordinary declaration of who God is and what he has done and how he feels about us, you need to bury that in your heart. Every morning you need to meditate on it. Every night you need to go to sleep with that truth. This is the thing that should consume you. Not your wealth, not your anxieties, not your fears, but the goodness of God shown to you in the gospel, shown to you in his word, his word of truth and his word of grace, and you need to bury that deep so your soil is rich and deep. And from that is where transformation comes. Because here's what Jesus says. He says it in John 15 later on. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. His point is that if his word dwells in you, he dwells with you. And the God of great comfort, the God of great assurance says, my inheritance is yours. My riches are yours. My power is yours. My safety is yours. And that is the truth, shown to us only in Jesus Christ, available only in the gospel, which we need to bury in our hearts. It will transform our lives. You know, we'll see more and more how the word of God really changes us, really changes us. And our prayer for the people around us is that they would hear that word. That word is the thing ultimately that would shape them and change it because it will change them too. It will transform them. So this week, if you're, not, if you're not someone who spends much time meditating on the truth of Scripture and of Jesus Christ come to us, I want, I want to challenge you this week. Make this the first week that you do that. Build your day and your week and your life on the goodness 
that God has shown us in his word. Amen. Let me pray. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. So powerful. Capable to bring about so much extraordinary change in our life. The deep change that we long for. Where we are freed from all the worries of this world. Where we find great comfort and assurance, a lack of anxiety. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to bury the truth of the gospel in our hearts this week. And out of that, Lord, answer your promise bring transformation and change in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.